Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. This will be part five in our discussion of oral Torah and proof of its legitimacy and necessity. Now, in this part, I'm going to basically do a recap. I'm going to, because I know particularly the last part, part four, for many of you, probably all of you, was likely quite confusing and complex. So I thought it might be a good idea to just pause it and kind of do a summary of what we have addressed thus far. So, okay. So again, this discussion discusses oral Torah. Now, what is oral Torah? Now, in the last part, in part four, we entered into a relatively deep definition of Torah. Torah simply means the instructions or teachings of God. Torah is the Hebrew word for instruction or teaching. Now, why did we have have the need, or why did I see the need to define Torah? Well, earlier on, I mentioned how I was going to take an approach to this discussion in which I will present five different premises. And then based upon those premises, I will expand upon each, and combining all of them, I will then prove that oral oral Torah is indeed necessary and legitimate. Premise one, which we are still discussing, is that Christians do not know what Torah and oral Torah are. Then there was premise two, three, four, five, but I won't get into that right now. So since Christians particularly do not even know what Torah is, and definitely do not know what oral Torah is, it was necessary and is necessary to actually define those terms. All right, so you may recall summarizing the Torah definition, we broke it down into basically two basic components. When it really comes down to it, Torah is comprised of what is known as the written Torah and the oral Torah. Now, the written Torah is very easy to define. The written Torah is basically the Bible, the Tanakh. The Tanakh meaning the what Christians sadly and irreverently call the Old Testament. And the very core of Torah are the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, the entire Tanakh, the prophets and the writings can be added to the basic Torah, the five books of Moses, to become the inclusive or all-inclusive written Torah. All right? So Torah has that you have the written Torah, and then you have the oral Torah. Oral Torah basically represents simply verbal teachings, uh, discussions, commentary, preaching, explanations, expansions upon the written Torah. That's what oral Torah is. And as I mentioned previously, if you go to the church on Sunday and you're listening to a sermon, you're listening to oral Torah. You're listening to expansions and perhaps there's stories, parable type stories, uh, anecdotal evidence, etc., etc. That is verbal teaching or technically 
oral Torah. Now, most of that coming from the preacher is false oral Torah and incorrect, but since the actual definition of Torah is simply, or the word simply means teachings or instructions, oral Torah simply means verbal teachings. And there's all types of verbal teachings. Therefore, there's all types, both good and bad, true and false, all types of oral Torah, technically. All right? And I kind of also did a little uh, hint or, or in, the, in part one, uh, basically showing that ultimately I'm going to show that since everyone actually has a form of verbal teaching, Everyone, therefore, has a form of oral Torah. Therefore, for a Christian to say that oral Torah is illegitimate and bogus and they reject it is absolute hypocrisy. Absolute hypocrisy. What they're actually rejecting is not the oral Torah. They're simply rejecting oral Torah they disagree with. So, in fact, everyone, everyone practices oral Torah-type uh, faith systems, no matter what faith system you're in. Now, of course, the true Torah, that's a whole separate matter. But the, the idea of oral Torah, of verbal teachings, is not only practiced by everyone of all religions, but it's actually necessary for all religions. All right? So again, we define Torah as the written Torah and the oral Torah. The written Torah is sometimes called the Torah Shebektav, the Torah that is written, and the oral Torah is called the Torah uh, Shebalteh, that which is spoken. All right? Now, within oral Torah, you have various things. You have what's, what's called Agadah, Hashkafa, or excuse me, Agadah, Hashkafa, Musar, Kabbalah, and Halakha. Now, Halakha represent the legal elements of Torah, be it oral or written. It's the commandments, which in Judaism is called the mitzvot. All right, that's, that's halakha. Anytime you read a commandment, you're reading a halakhic uh, statement. So that's the, you might call it the legal aspects, all right? Agadah is the, they represent the non-legal aspects, or it represents the non-legal aspects. And within Agadah, you have Hashkafa, Musar, Kabbalah, and other things. All right? So, again, the Torah has two parts. The written Torah and the oral Torah. That's what Torah is. We went into depth regarding the various components, and I won't go into it here, but that's what we did in part four. Again, the written Torah is basically the Bible, the Tanakh, particularly the Tanakh, not the New Testament, because now the New Testament, in my opinion, actually is a form of oral Torah that was written, that was later written. In fact, even within Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism, most of the oral Torah has now been written. The first writing was the Mishnah, which eventually became the Talmud, but there's been many, many, many more things written. Many more things. I, I have myself a very substantial library of Judaic material, and it's a lot of stuff. And I've only got a fraction of what's actually available. So today, even most oral Torah has been written down. 
The reason they did that, and we discussed this in the past also within the previous parts, is that particularly under Roman oppression, when Rome uh, destroyed the temple and then later under, under the Barcocpa Rebellion and other things, it was Rome basically sought, particularly under Emperor Hadrian, they wanted to rid the world of Torah. They were burning Torah scrolls. They were rounding up and killing Torah scholars. They were doing everything they can or could, excuse me, at the time to eliminate Torah from the world. So the Torah sages of that time, although I may disagree with their belief system because they were generally Pharisees, but I agree with what they did. They recognized that if they didn't write down these verbal teachings, it would be lost forever. They had to preserve the teachings. That was the impetus. That was the motivation for them to begin to write down the oral Torah. And they gathered up material. Initially, uh, there was a, a rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda the Prince, they call him, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He was a very, very rich man. <laughs> and so he said about, uh, he, I'm sure he sent people out to gather up various notes because even though nothing was written, in these Torah study schools up to that time, there would be students who would take notes uh, and, and things. So they begin to gather notes. They begin to listen to all the various uh, Torah teachers and just compile the teachings. Now, I also mentioned in, I forget if I actually mentioned in this part, but in other parts I have mentioned how they only really saved what they agreed with because there were many, many sects of Judaism. I've seen 27, I've seen even up into the 30s, different sects of Judaism, different, as a, a Christian would think, denominations of Judaism. And the Pharisees only kept what was within their denomination. The other material they discarded. So there's actually a lot of oral Torah that was never actually saved by rabbinic Judaism. And one element of that, or I would say for sure, one example of that, a clear example of that, is the New Testament. The New Testament is rightly represented and defined as written verbal teachings, written oral Torah. And just as under Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, they would gather up notes and various things and piece together this, you know, co you know compile all the various teachings. Well, what do you have in the New Testament? You have epistles, letters. You have gospels, short teachings about the life and teachings of Yeshua the Messiah. And they were gathered to produce the New Testament, a very, very similar thing. The New Testament is literally oral Torah from a sect of Judaism that differed with the sect of Judaism from what we now get rabbinic Judaism. It was Yeshua Judaism, which differed in some dramatic ways from rabbinic Judaism which, or Pharisaic Judaism, which eventually became rabbinic Judaism, primarily focused upon the opinions and teachings of Rabbi Akiva, which is why I call it Rab, excuse me, Akiva Judaism. All right, so again, we, in, as part of dis the discussion, proving the legitimacy and necessity of oral Torah, we define Torah. 
we then defined oral Torah. Now, within that oral Torah definition, within the halakha, within the legal aspects of oral Torah, we then further subdivided and defined various things, such as takanot, gezerot, and minhag. If you recall from part four, takanot represent positive rabbinic dictates, rabbinic decrees. They're totally separate. They're not written in the Bible, if you consider the Bible the written Torah. They're not written in the Bible. They're decrees and dictates that the rabbis instituted and that they actually realistically place on an equal level with what is in the written Torah. Now, they will say, and I discussed this in previous parts, they will say, well, no, they don't. They do. They do. The oral Torah, the, the rabbinic dictates are considered obligatory. In other words, it is considered that you must observe them. If you do not observe them, at the very least, you're considered a bad Jew, a, 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 not a devoted Jew. All right? So Takanot represents the positive rabbinic, rabbinic now, it's not in the Bible, rabbinic decrees and dictates. The Gezerot represent the negative rabbinic decrees and dictates, the prohibitions, things you cannot do. And the Minhag just simply represent various customs that spring up and may vary from group to group within rabbinic Judaism or even from synagogue to synagogue. Now, a lot of these, the, the, the Takanot and Gezerot are often simply referred to collectively as Takanot. So Takanot can be positive or negative decrees of the rabbis. Now remember, I also mentioned how there are, it, there are books and books written purely on the rabbinic commandments. All right? It is an absolute monstrosity, this mammoth mound of rabbinic commandments which smother and cover the actual commandments of God, which is why in the New Testament, even then, and there were not near as many then, there were fewer, far fewer uh, takanot during the times of Yeshua than there are now. There was an explosion of these rabbinic decrees following the temple destruction because they replaced various various temple liturgical uh, things with their own teachings. They basically replaced the temple and sacrifices with prayer and good deeds and the synagogue. And the rabbis, it was a massive, unprecedented power grab by the Pharisees when they created rabbinic Judaism. They set themselves up as the ultimate undisputed dictators. It's an authoritarian power grab, the likes of which the world perhaps has never seen within a religious body. And part of that power grab was the creation of this huge amount of rabbinic dictates and decrees. And that is what, just a little hint here, in the New Testament, when you see various characters speaking against the law 
In most cases, they are speaking against those rabbinic decrees. See, that's a major mistake Christians make, a major mistake. They're not speaking against the Torah itself. They're speaking against the rabbinic dictates. They're speaking against the takanot of the rabbis, which is considered part of Torah, but which they rejected, that is, the characters in the New Testament, uh, Yeshua and the apostles, the apostle Paul, etc. They weren't rejecting the Torah. They were rejecting the teachings of the Pharisees, which were added to the Torah. That's what they rejected. In fact, Yeshua, every single one of the miracles you see in the New Testament that were that occurred with Yeshua, every one of them was a direct slap in the face of the rabbinic dictates. It did not violate the Torah but it did violate the rabbinic dictates, every single one of them, which is one reason they hated him, because they realized he was basically making them look bad. He was putting them in their place. He was disobeying the rabbis, but not God. He was, diso- he was not disobeying. Yeshua never violated the Torah and never taught against the Torah. But he did violate the rabbinic decrees, the authoritarian dictatorship of the rabbis. He did violate that, and they hate him for it to this very day. In fact, just to give you an idea how bad it is, there is a rabbi, and I'll go ahead and give his name, Rabbi Reuven. And he's not the only one that teaches this. It is taught within Akiva Judaism that Yeshua... Jesus, as he is falsely known by Christians, is, quote, boiling in human feces in Gehenna, or in hell. They teach, some of the rabbis teach, such as this Rabbi Reuben, a harsh, wicked man, in my opinion. He literally teaches, as do other rabbis. They just don't openly say it as he does. Rabbinic Judaism states that Yeshua is in hell boiling in human crap. And then you'll see Reuven stated, what is the purpose? What was his sin? His sin, according to Rabbi Reuven, he disrespected the rabbis. Think of that for a moment. That will give you insight into how grand this tyranny is within Akiva Judaism or Rabbinic Judaism, by because he disrespected the rabbis, Rabbinic Judaism teaches Yeshua is boiling in hell in human crap. He's literally boiling eternally in human feces because he disrespected the rabbis, which, by the way, he did and which, by the way, I do, and which, by the way, anyone who truly follows Torah should. Most people have absolutely no idea, particularly Christians, they have no idea how bad it is in Judaism. All these things that many people, unfortunately, see as, oh, they're so devout, they're so... They, you know, they praise God, but most of the stuff they do isn't even taught to be, isn't even said in the Bible that they have to do. It's rabbinic. 
Rabbinic Judaism elevates their rabbis to the level of God. That is a fact. That is a fact. Now, as I've said, as I said in the other parts, I'm not saying they, they, they do not claim their rabbi. Now, when I say their rabbis, I'm referring specifically to the what's called the Tanaim, the earliest, most highly revered sages, and also even the Amarim who came after them. The Tanaim are generally the ones mentioned in the Mishnah, the Amarim are those in the Gemara. The, these, these people it is forbidden to even differ with, basically, in Judaism. All right? And those men, their teachings, for instance, the teachings of Rabbi Akiva, are on a level equal to the teachings of the Creator God. Period. Full stop. They literally have made themselves, the rabbis, as part of their authoritarian power grab, made themselves God. That is a fact. Again, they didn't make themselves the creator. They never claimed that. But in terms of the authority of their teachings, rabbinic Judaism, following the Second Temple destruction, the Pharisees who started that religion made themselves gods. Fact. Anyone who denies that either does not know what rabbinic or Akiva Judaism teaches or is a liar because it is a fact. And because Yeshua disrespected those early... Now, remember, another interesting historic point. Those Tanaim I mentioned, those most revered sages they would have either known Yeshua directly because they were in the first century and the early second century. Rabbi Akiva, for instance, was allegedly born in the year 16 CE. So if that's true, Rabbi Akiva would have known about Yeshua and about all the apostles. It is almost a certain fact that, for instance, in the, in the book of Acts, when you read about all the Pharisees who hounded and followed around and tried to destroy everything the Apostle Paul was trying to build, those Pharisees were very likely either friends of those early Tanaim, or perhaps some of the Tanaim were even there doing it. That's why they hate Yeshua so much. That's why they hate the New Testament so much, people, because the greatest sages of Judaism were the very people, that very the, the generation of those sages, were the very Pharisees you read of in the New Testament who opposed Yeshua. That's why even to this very day, Judaism utterly despises Yeshua and the New Testament and within Judaism, within Akiva Judaism, nothing is worse than converting to Christianity. If you're an atheist, uh, whatever. If you're a homosexual, oh, whatever. If you want to become a Muslim, well, that's bad, but all right. But if you become a Christian, no. That, that crosses the line. That crosses the line within Judaism, within Akiva Judaism. All right? So I, I, I'm going on about this because I want people to understand in our discussion of oral Torah, those talk a note, that's the primary thing that Yeshua opposed, all right, in oral Torah. Now, the, the Hashkafa, Musar, and Kabbalah, that's not opposed. Now, people don't understand what Kabbalah is, and I'll get into that later. 
Masara is simply ethical teachings. New Testament is full of that. New Testament, in fact, has a lot of Kabbalah. New Testament has a lot of Hashkafa. Those are the, remember, I mentioned Agadah and Halakha. The oral Torah, the oral Torah is composed of Halakha, which we just discussed, the legal aspects, which include the ridiculous Durabanans, or Takanot, the decrees of the sages, and also it's composed of Agadah, which are the non-legal teachings. So oral Torah is both legal and non-legal teachings. The oral Torah that I'm referring to when I say it's legitimate and necessary is the non-legal teachings in general. Now, there are some legal teachings, obviously, because you have the commandments. I mean, that's and that's halakha. Those are mitzvot. So mitzvot or commandments is would be would be considered part of the halakha, and in both the written and oral, because you can have a commandment in the written Torah. Thou shalt not do whatever, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not... And then you can have commentary or expansion on that very commandment in the oral Torah. So that's an example of you have halakha in the written Torah and halakha in the oral Torah. Now, generally speaking, halakha really primarily refers to oral Torah. But in terms of what it is, in terms of the technicality of what it represents, which are the mitzvot, the commandments, things you should do and things you should not do. In terms of that, you have that in both written and oral form, all right? Written and oral Torah. And the Agadah, same thing, non-legal teachings. You can read in the prophets, they'll say things and they'll teach things and they'll refer to things that are non-legal. Maybe they're even history. They're not legal. They're not legalistic. They're not mitzvot. And then any expansion on that, any commentary on that, would be oral Torah or Agadah, non-legal. So again, summarizing. The Torah is composed of the written Torah, which is basically the Tanakh, the Bible, and the oral Torah, which, is, which are things not written in the Bible. It's expansion. Clarification, in the case of Akiva Judaism, added commandments dictated by rabbis, which I reject, and which Yeshua and the New Testament rejects. Again, that's why they hate Yeshua and the New Testament so much. And various ethical teachings, various teachings of the, like for instance, Ashkafa, which gets into very answers to very deep questions what is the purpose of evil? Where did evil come from? Why am I here? Why did God create? Why did he create anything? What's the purpose of creation? What is mankind? Why do you have male and female? What, what's, what are why the animals? What's going to happen in the afterlife? How's it going to happen? What, is the, what are the components of the spiritual world versus the components of the physical world, etc.? I mean, there's all kinds of questions. How can we know the nature of God? What is God? How can we define God, etc.? Those are all deep questions which are part of Hashkafa, which includes secret, mystical, or deeper understandings. It's often called the inner essence or wisdom of Torah. That's Kabbalah. And again, don't jump to conclusions thinking you know what Kabbalah is. Christians reject Kabbalah and don't realize if if you're a Christian and you reject Kabbalah, you need to throw out throw away your New Testament because it's full of it. 
the much of the stuff that Paul taught, much of the stuff in the New Testament actually is sourced in Kabbalah. It's actually Kabbalistic teaching. And I'll get into that in more depth in future parts of this oral Torah. And I will prove from Paul's own words, from his own words, I will prove that he accepted Kabbalah. All right, but I won't get into that here because that's in future parts. Again, this is more, this part five is, is a pause. I wanted just to try to clarify and summarize everything up to this point because I realize this, for most people, particularly Christians, this is an extremely complex subject because it's something most Christians have never even heard. And uh, getting into Torah and defining Torah and all the various aspects of Torah, it can become very complex. Uh, and, and I realize that. I realize that. Uh, but it really comes down again. Torah is the written Torah and the oral Torah. That's it. Things which are written in the Bible and things which are not written or were not written, but now they are. Now the oral Torah generally is written. And as I said, the New Testament is basically oral Torah. That's what it is. And I'll explain, expand upon that also in other parts as we proceed in this discussion of oral Torah. Now, in the next, I'm going to, to stop here, uh, but I just wanted to, because I wanted to go through just a summary. Normally in these discussions, in these podcasts, I read through the material that's on the website in written form, and I expand upon it. So the written material on the website often, in, in this case, this is an example, it is like a script, you might, you might say, that I utilize to produce the podcast. And I expand upon it as I go. I comment or whatever. All right? Now, within the next part, which is part six, I will then pick up where we left off in part four, and I will discuss in greater depth legitimate versus illegitimate oral Torah. My focus will be, as I've mentioned within this part, within this particular part five, the problem with the Takanot, the problem with the rabbinic dictates, and how we can perhaps begin to discern what's legitimate and what's not legitimate with an oral Torah, because it's a problem. And I will get within that within part five, or excuse me, within part six. So I, I appreciate you listening to me here. I really, really felt there was there's a there was a large need to summarize the material up to this point, and as we proceed, I'm, I may do this another time or two, and this oral tour series is going to probably be at least 10 parts. I'm beginning to think it may go beyond that, uh, but stick with it. This is actually very important material because, as I say often, if you don't have a basic grasp of oral Torah, it is impossible to properly understand completely the New Testament. And unfortunately, that is the problem in Christianity. The soul, if, if, if I was to identify a single basic foundational error of Christianity, it, was, it is their rejection of Torah. Primarily, their rejection of oral Torah, because when that happened, they threw away thousands, literally 
thousands of years of knowledge regarding God's teachings. Yeshua was here 2,000 years ago. So Christianity, particularly in the 4th century, and actually as early as the 2nd century, literally discarded to the trash 4,000 years of biblical knowledge. They threw it away. They threw it away and then made up a new set of oral Torah. They made it up and they used the template of the pagan Roman Empire. The pagan Roman Empire was used as the template to create Christianity's interpretation of the Bible because they threw out the Torah-based interpretation of the Bible and started over. That is the foundational mistake of Christianity, and it is tragic. It is so bad. Christians are, it is so bad. They're victimized by deceptful, or excuse me, deceptive, ignorant leaders who are not capable of teaching because they don't know the basic foundational ingredient of teaching, which is Torah. They throw it out. They reject it. And as a result, sadly, Christians are confused. They don't know what to believe. They arrive arrive at incorrect conclusions because they're not taught. Many Christians uh, lose their faith entirely or just go off the deep end and become crazy sinners still thinking they're Christians, but it's because they don't know. They're not taught the truth. They're taught garbage by their Christian leaders, absolute garbage, and it leaves them with unanswered questions. Torah has those questions, especially oral Torah. And if Christians would begin to investigate that oral Torah, they would not have the need to reject or to deny their faith. They would see answers that they never saw before, and their faith would be enhanced. So I won't go on and rambling here, but I I just wanted to clarify. I hope this did help. I, I hope this part five, this pause to summarize, I, I hope it's helped some. I'm trying to, to lessen the complexity of this discussion. Again, thing to remember, Torah is composed of written Torah and oral Torah. The oral Torah has various components. It has both legal and non-legal aspects, all right? And it is the legal aspects, primarily, that the New Testament differs with because those legal oral, oral Torah aspects generally are the rabbinic dictates that have no basis in the actual Torah. None. None. And it is even worse now. Much, much, much worse than it was prior to the temple destruction. Because after that, that's when the rabbis did their power grab. That's when they defined themselves as gods. That's when the explosion of rabbinic dictates really began. So, thank you for listening, and we'll jump back into the material in part six, in the next part, where we'll begin discussing how to discern legitimate oral Torah from illegitimate oral Torah. So, again, I thank you for listening. Uh, Please return for the oral Torah part six. And goodbye.